Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Today on the podcast, we look at the questions we always receive about who's in and who's out. And we wonder if maybe what Jesus came to do was to set us free to love one another and let God determine who's in and who's out. So why don't you sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey Michael, how's it going this month? (laughs) This month? Instead of this week, it's going well, Nate. How are you? I'm doing good, man. It has been like a month. It has since we talked. It has, and uh, that's just the busyness of Easter season, I think, and a little bit else. But we're back, baby. <laughs> yes, we are. Here we are, live. Texas is back. Wait, not Texas is back. Um, <laughs> pontificating pastors is there back. There you go. There you go. How are you doing? I'm I'm okay. I think I'm probably a little weary because spring uh, brings so much work with it, and uh, so many allergens, and so. Uh, oh man, I didn't tell you this, but last weekend I went to a retreat, and I was leading on guitar for my little group that went from the church to retreat. And there was snot dripping out of my nose. My, the whole right side of my face was just like pouring. And I was trying to keep it from happening. I'm like, the whole time I'm playing, I'm like, it was so bad. Oh, but that's, that's I a terrible felt thing. awful. And I'm feeling myself again finally this week. But man, my wife is kind of getting it too. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's rough. And I think having Easter so late, this is one of the latest times we've had Easter. And it pushes us right to the end of... of April, and then I know you have a young lady graduating this oh. month, and let's, it's just yeah. Let's not talk happening. about that. Let's not talk about that. That's that's why you're just doing okay. Oh man, all, I'm just okay. You're about to start crying. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. It's a weird thing because uh, you raise kids and you want them to go do what they're supposed to do, and you're proud of them for what they're doing. But then you find in the last several months before they go off. Uh, just kind of looking at your spouse going, what are we going to do when she's not here? And uh, yeah. and then I kind of look over. Dude, I and, am right there with you. Yeah. Then I look over at the boys and I say, I say you know, why can't y'all leave? <laughs> <laughs> no, I tease them all the time. I'm like, I, I... Don't say that because they, they will. They will. Then they're going to. I know. And then I'm going to be sad about that too. Uh, you know, but... So this... They don't do their chores. Maggie does their chores. Maggie does her chores. So... There's just going to be a lot more work around the house, uh, and I, that's all you care about. Yeah, right? you know, really, I'm Isn't not, that why we have kids to get to, do to the get work the work done. Do. You know, at least Maggie doesn't mow the yard. Jonah does. Um, so, but then Judah will be old enough to mow the yard by the time Jonah is leaving for college. Provided Jonah leaves for college, I don't know. He he kind of oscillates back and forth about what his future is going to be. Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm about. I'm thinking about the summer, and I'm going to perform the ceremony for my oldest oh, on June 8th. See, that's another step then, in that, that direction. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, 
the crazy thing is, is at the end of May, after, after they're done with school, I'll have Tyler at home, I'll have Nathan at home, and I'll have Noah Terry, one of our interns, staying with us because he has a two-week class. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to have three, three crazy college boys in the house, and then Nathan gets married, and the week before that, Tyler goes off to Remedy, and Noah will leave after Nathan's wedding, and then it's going to be nobody all summer but Paula and I. So we were kind of used to that during the school year, but it's going to be a weird, weird summer. And yeah. like you said, you kind of raise your kids, you're ready for that. Oh, yeah. And I just yeah. told, when I finally started like talking to them about the actual ceremony, I was like, dude, my goal in this whole thing is just to hold it all together, <laughs> like to not just oh, start yeah. bawling the whole time. Oh, I can't so, even, I can't even imagine. If I can do that, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. So, so, man, uh, we were going to talk about some things. It's been a while. What did you want to talk about today? Oh, you know, we we talked recently, you know, we've had some questions um, that we've tried to answer um, as a church. We've tried to, you know, right. we've, we've just, it just seems like we're at that point in our growth where people are, are finally going, okay, you've been around for a little bit because we've been around a little yeah. over here. This was our second Easter. And so people are investigating more. I think a lot of people kind of wait around to see if you're going to last because people know better than to come and fall in love with a group of people that will just disband after a while, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, people, I know. <laughs> and so uh, people just sort of been watching from a distance going, hmm, I wonder if they're going to make it. And then now that they kind of convinced that we're going to, we're here for a while, they, they start coming in. And so we've had a lot of visitors lately. We've had a lot of folks who are uh, showing some, you know, curiosity and uh, and ultimately, that means that I have a lot of those conversations where I sit down to coffee or over dinner and have questions about, well, what you know, what are your values and what do you believe? And so I've just had all these kind of questions. Right. And it's interesting. And, and then within the community, we've had a lot of uh, opportunity for joint efforts among churches. We have another yeah. group in town that we do a fifth Sunday serve, and so we don't meet on fifth ser- Sundays as a congregation in the sanctuary. Uh, which in our case is just a, a gymnasium with some pipe and drape and you know a sound system, but um, we don't meet there on that Sunday. We we go out and we serve the community, and um, and so we've had another group say, "Hey, listen, we're we're trying to get that started," and and they're a much more established church, and but their pastors are are friends of mine, and we've been talking, and some other churches came in, and so we've been doing group effort, you know, see if we can get right. everybody on the same page. And then um, on the other side of that, we've had some prayer gatherings of churches, and we have this movement. This pastors have said they want to start an unceasing prayer movement for our area, and so they want to. That's they cool. Want somebody to be praying twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, forever, right? And uh, um, and so it's been. I heard this, of something like that in Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of that international house of prayer kind of thing going on. Yeah, yeah. And um, and been there. And so, uh, but they want it to be specifically by churches along the I thirty five corridor. And um, and so we had this prayer gathering because today is the National Day of Prayer. And um, that is true. Yeah. And so, uh, in that conversation, there's just you know when you're trying to build unity, uh, there's always this pushback. From, uh, from orthodoxy, you know, uh, from this concern for orthodoxy, are we? Right, you know, can yeah. I can I participate in this with you, 
because do we believe enough of the same things? Do we have enough of the same values? Do we, you know, and so there's always this concern. Are you going to come out like a week after we connect with you and say that you are for something that I am not for or you are against something right. that I am not against? And are you going to make us all? And that could be that? about anything oh, in, our, absolutely. in our current society. Absolutely. You know, I, I, like, I'm totally against cats and that really offends some people. Yeah, yeah I'm not a big cat person. And, uh, and we have this intern coming down and they have a pet cat. Uh, oh, wow. And, and yeah. I, I was, I, it was hard for me to say, to, to, you know, not say some mean cat joke, uh, you know. Right. And, uh, Allow the spawn yeah. of Satan to reside within your <laughs> yeah. dwelling. How, are you, are you, do you sleep with the door closed for fear that that thing <laughs> might come in and try to steal your breath, steal your soul? No. You know. But seriously, uh, so you're talking about just, Issues that divide us. Well, there's just a lot of questions. Yeah, issues that divide us. There's a lot of questions get asked. And it seems like that sometimes some people are asking questions because they want you to define. And I I read this in the Gospels where Jesus was put on this kind of same experience where people would ask him questions to see where he stood so they could see what side he was on so then they could either weaponize his answer against him or against someone else. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think we just live in this world where, you know, I mean, I think some of these movements are very important uh, where, we're, where we're demanding accountability, we're demanding that people show others respect, and so we're asking all these questions, but it so quickly becomes so polarizing, and you never know when your answer is going to turn into ammunition to hurt somebody. Right. So you mean like questions that we get about who's in and who's out a lot of times? Who's in and who's out? That exactly. That's what yeah. we're dealing with. I, that it's Those, sometimes that I, sometimes I think people ask that question because they want to know if they are in or if they are out. But sometimes they or ask who, it. Who can I discriminate <laughs> yes. against or who can I hate? Yes, it would probably be a better way to say it. Uh huh. Yeah, I I think we always think we're in. Like maybe not, but most people think they're in. Oh, I think I think we do. I remember this sermon one time that I heard. I went and visited my parents' church in the transition between um, uh, two uh, two serves, like uh, from one church to the next. I went and visited my parents' church and spent a, a week with them. Um, and their pastor preached this sermon about how we're so eager to to think of other people as having not yet arrived. Oh, it's okay, they haven't arrived yet. Or, you know, we really need to help them mature because they just haven't arrived yet, you know, and all these things right. that we say about people, um, looking down on them. It, it reminds me of a Parks and Rec episode where Tom Haverford goes out and buys golfing clothes, and he says, right. just, just wearing these clothes makes me feel so much better than everyone else. You know? <laughs> but you know, so we put on our Christian yeah. our Christian garment, and we we look at everybody like, yeah, see, I am so much better uh, than I was, and I'm so much better than you are. And I think in that you know in that struggle, um, it it become he he was talking about how I think that I've arrived, and I'm waiting for everyone else to arrive. But the truth is, is that I haven't arrived yet either. Right. I, I yeah. still haven't gotten to wherever I think it is. So that whole question of who's right, who's wrong, um, there's a in Walter Brueggemann's uh, Old Testament theology, which I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a big, thick book. Um, 
And I have not read that one. Yeah. I've read several books. Well, Marty books. Michelson made me read it for his Old Testament theology class years ago. Does not surprise and, me. And um, I think he's since changed the reading list, but that, that's pretty... Marty, like, hangs out with Bruce for fun. I guess he does. Um, I, 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 it changed my life. The book changed my life. I really enjoyed the read. It was transformational, some of the thoughts that I was able to, to uh, glean. Um, and... Uh, there's this there's this footnote in the book that says Did you read the footnotes? No, but Marty Marty made us. <laughs> <laughs> Marty made us read the footnotes. Hey, I realized this time I'm doing a paper, I'm actually reading footnotes more. When yeah. I first started grad school, I never read a footnote. Oh man. I you know, it's dangerous. There's a lot in the footnotes. Oh yeah, it's dangerous to read the footnotes. I never I, I have a hard time finishing books because I'll go, Oh, that's right. interesting. I'll read the footnote and then I have to go buy the book. That that footnote is about. That footnote was in. <laughs> and yeah. so I. So what was yeah. in the footnote? So the footnote just says, um, "On that day when we're all standing there, um, on the day of judgment, and somebody has the audacity to say, uh, who was right and who was wrong? I hope I'm standing close enough to uh, to Jesus to whisper in his ear, or for, to the heavenly Father to whisper into his ear. For Christ's sake, don't answer." Uh, you know, <laughs> um, that's great. I love that. Yeah, but I think, you know, that's one of the things I love about the Nazarene denomination is that for years we decided that there's just some questions we don't have an answer to. Um, right. You know, and maybe we have opinions and maybe we have yeah. thoughts on it, but uh, we don't, you know, that's something that human beings really need to remember. It's just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you have to share it. Uh, and it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's right. You know, I, I remember in my first church, so I was a pastor of this little bitty church in Snyder, Texas, um, and I said something in the Sunday morning sermon. And, and back in those days, we had Sunday morning, we had Sunday night, and we had Wednesday night, and I was expected to preach a sermon at all three of those. And so, I know you pastored when it was a lot harder than what I'm doing. <laughs> so, I, well, I don't know. It was only 35 people I could pretty much do. I, I, I got bored there. Um, in some regards, and so I would take on other jobs. I was a substitute teacher, and I pretty much worked every day of the week. Um, gotcha. But I, uh, and I, you know, I did a lot of hospital visits in Snyder. That's, I mean, I had right. an older congregation. Yeah. Uh, and sometime I'll tell you about the being the surprise guest speaker at a funeral. But there uh, you yeah, go. I didn't know. I didn't know I was going to be the the speaker of the funeral. That is awesome. Yeah. But anyway, the uh, oh, anyway, lots of stories from those days. But um, I, you were wrong about something. I think is where we're going. <laughs> oh no! I, well, I don't know if I was right or wrong, but um, I and it doesn't even matter at this point. But I remember that my rebuttal to this congregation member, who in front of the whole congregation on Sunday night says, "I don't agree with your sermon from this morning. I don't agree with what you nice. said about this and that in front of everybody." That is awesome. And then stands up. To go to the when bathroom. It to you. Yeah, stands up to go to the bathroom, right? Gets up and leaves the sanctuary right. and is walking to the bathroom. And I'm like, you just said that in front of everybody just before service began. You're walking out to the... And I just, I don't know. I kind of, I don't know if I lost it. I was, I, I didn't yell it. I just said, well, just because you think I'm wrong doesn't mean that I am. <laughs> <laughs> and... So and I think that yeah. made me wrong in that moment when when yeah. my rebuttal was in front of everyone and I tried to win the argument 
more than deal with the human being in front of me because I right. I knew in retrospect right now if I, it, it wouldn't be appropriate because it's, it was a private uh, thing but um, to you know but I I can diagnose the situation I know why she said it because I know her history I know her past as her pastor I right. was privileged to a lot of her hurt and her pain and so yeah I, I should have seen through it and gone you know, said something different or not responded at all and asked her to, you know, well, let's visit about that. Come by my office. Yeah. But instead, I just said, well, just because you think I'm wrong doesn't mean I am. <laughs> you know. So I told you I've been listening to um, Plain Account of Christian Perfection, and that was one of the most striking things to me about what John Wesley continually says is basically a lot of times just shut your mouth. Like, don't speak ill of another preacher, even if you disagree with his or her, like, theology. Mm -hmm. Like, don't speak ill of another person. Um, It was so much, like, I think about how, sometimes how quickly we are to speak these days. Like, we have all these platforms to put our thoughts out there and our ideas and and how quickly we defend our ideas and... and and one of the things I noticed immediately about Wesley was like, hold your ideas pretty loosely. Um, you you know, obviously you believe those things. And that's where I kind of contradict myself. Because when, when I'm discussing with my family, I'm always like, well, of course I think I'm right. Otherwise, I wouldn't have this opinion. <laughs> I wouldn't hold on to an opinion that I thought was wrong. Right, yeah. You know, but, yeah. but still to hold that loosely enough to understand that even though you think you're right, like you may not be. One of the things that I... That one of the parables that I really think like our generation could really learn from is the parable where the man like sows his field full of wheat and then in the night an enemy comes and sows uh, some weeds in the wheat and then all the the you know the harvesters the workers go to the master and they say should we just pull out all the weeds because the bad stuff definitely needs to go right and he's like no let them grow up together yeah. Um, and, and the idea is there is when you're ripping out some of those weeds, you may pull some wheat and you may not be able to tell the difference between weeds and wheat at some point. And um, I think when Jesus is constantly pushed with these ideas of who's in or who's out, you know, like, like here's this woman caught in the act of adultery. The law says we can stone her. What do you say? And he doesn't say she's not guilty. <laughs> no. He, he doesn't say, he no, just he says, doesn't. hey, if you haven't sinned, go ahead. Like throw the stone at her, yeah. but he changes the question, and I think, I think that's where it needs to go to. I, I saw something on Facebook today, and I'm probably going to butcher it. I think my friend B.J. Keeter posted it, but it was basically like we should be really, we should be really uh, strongly um, observing our own actions. We should we should hold ourselves to a very high standard, and we should hold others with a lot of grace. Yes. So it's kind of like. We tend to do the other thing, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to hold others to a very high standard and give ourselves a lot of grace. But um, right. And it was a Wesley quote, I think, too. But the idea was we should examine ourselves intensely to make sure that there's no like wicked way in me, like the psalmist says. Um, but we should, we should hold others with, with a lot more grace. Sure. I think sometimes, uh, I think that's always true, that we should offer a lot of grace. Um, we, we want to think that, uh, love covers over a multitude of sins, 
And when we talk about that, our sins. it's my sin. <laughs> yeah. I need your love to cover over a multitude of my sins. Um, but, right. but the truth yeah. is, is that that's sort of a blanket statement that applies to, to all of us. Um, and so if we see each, other, see each other with love, then it ought to cover over a multitude of sins. And it ought to get us, give us time and, and space and a lot of leniency. Um, it ought to be it ought to be pretty tolerant, you know. We we get real upset in the church about we're just going to tolerate that. That's that might as well be giving them permission, um, right? You know, That's the I, big I, one. Is if you don't like confront it mm-hmm. aggressively, you're giving permission. Yeah. No, I think what you're giving is space, and and well, you're I also try, not it, trying to take over and and run be the role of God. I, I have no right, no claim to the throne, and so I can't. Yeah. I can't right. take that. I, you know, when Jesus says that to that lady, that's basically what he's saying. So which one of you is qualified to sit on the throne? Um, right. So it yeah. points to the Heavenly Father as the one who has the right to vengeance, right? And I think sometimes we live our lives as though God is not present and active ah, yes. and alive oh. in the world. Because, like, if we don't say something, they're not going to know to change. That's right. Well, do you not believe God is... <laughs> convicting people of sin. Yeah, I mean, no. that's the Holy Spirit's job, right? Like, right. like it's not, not my job to be the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, I do think there are relationships that we have where we have that permission, where we're in a close relationship with someone, maybe an accountability kind of relationship, and we can say to that person, hey, are you sure you want to be doing this? Because this is going to end up bad. Sure. But that's a different kind of relationship than just going out to everybody we see and saying, you need to stop doing this and you need to stop doing that. And I think anytime we start to be the ones who are, who are the legislature, legislators of morality, Ooh. Uh, yeah. then we begin to find ourselves um, in a place where we are all of a sudden now the ones who are able to judge what is right and what is wrong um, instead of allowing God to do that. Now, we, ha- we get a lot of that stuff in Scripture but still, it's God who is the one who judges people's hearts and minds, yeah, um, and and not us. And and I think we have to, you know, there's definitely some balance there. Um, but there's people tend to lean towards I'm going to make sure you know what you're doing wrong. Yeah. Even one of the questions we got about, you know, is is a uh, I think it was is a homosexual monogamous relationship a sin? Yeah, uh, it's that's like a grenade. And I love Rachel, and I <laughs> I appreciate her wanting to ask that question. Yeah. But but it's a huge grenade in our culture sure. because um, because it, it just it is that same kind of question where it's like, um, well, I need to be able to define for you who's in and who's out. The answer can't really be stated in a way that won't we- don't the won't be weaponized against somebody, um, and so we have to be very careful with that. Jesus would often respond to questions like that with saying, "Well, I tell, I'll ask you a question. If you're willing to answer my question, uh, then I'll answer yours." You know, Jesus, yeah, he, right. he just that's how he steered that conversation. And I think it was because he knew that people would weaponize it against one another, and so and sometimes the law. Uh, you know, we're always because he he tried to rescue us from the law because we were always trying to make the law bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if 
you know, the problem is with that, and Paul deals with this in, in a lot of his writings, is that uh, none of us, the law can't justify any one of us because none of us has the bandwidth to hold up the entire law. And so yeah, we're all, right. you know, <laughs> so it just becomes a very difficult thing. Um, and with regards what to that. What would it look like for me to love you? Yeah. That, regardless of, right. of what we believe. That's where we are. Different. That's where we are. With, with Rachel's question, that's where we are. Yes, Rachel, you are allowed to love those people. That's, yes. that's the answer yeah. to the question. Yes, you can love them. Um, and right. and yeah. you don't even have to be ashamed. And on the day of judgment, when somebody wants to know if you were wrong for loving them, uh, you know, I don't think that you're. I think that's a good way to fault if you if you fault on the side yeah. of love. Now, love doesn't mean that you know that that we don't have hard conversations, and love doesn't mean you know uh, that we just let people do whatever they want, and because that's not love. Here's the deal. Right. Yeah. Is when we're in a, a, a strong, intimate relationship with people, um, love doesn't just say, because I, you know, I have three kids, and Nate, you have two uh, boys. Uh, love doesn't just let people do whatever they want. Um, right. Yeah. Love, love gives accountability. Love gives encouragement towards the best things. Love, love has, right. you know, love has an opinion. Um, it just, it, it is careful with its opinion, <laughs> right? It doesn't, right. It doesn't well, just throw it out there. Everywhere. And like you said, when we're standing before the judgment seat, it's pretty clear in Scripture that whatever measure we've used is, is, is where we're going to be judged. And so it's like, I think I would rather you use the measure of grace. <laughs> like, you know, Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Um, so we need to, we need to think really... Uh, long and hard about how we approach situations where where we might be tempted to sit in judgment over someone else. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's really good because I do think it's something that's completely dividing us. What would it look like to have a church full of people who were willing to love in spite of the differences in a world like ours where that is completely unheard of? It might look like the kingdom of God. Yeah, it might. That might be how His kingdom comes and His will is done when we fling, when you know, fling wide you heavenly gates, prepare yeah. the way of the risen Lord. You know that I love that song. Open up. I can, I'm sorry, I could sing it all over. Yeah, but it's just I love it because that's it's what we're supposed one. to do. We're not. So, it doesn't. There's no statement in Scripture. No, shut down the gates and don't let them. Like don't let them in. That's not our job. Yeah. Our job is right. to open up, go out into the streets and the highways and the byways and invite them. And then when they when they don't come, go invite a, more. And and that's our role is to pass out yeah. invitations and to be generous with the invitations. The transformation part, the the sanctifying aspects of things, I don't sanctify people. The church doesn't sanctify people. Christ sanctifies people. Only only Christ can do the work in our hearts. Yeah. And and that goes for us too, as far as the depth of our love for people. Yeah. Like only God can create a heart that loves so deeply as to be able to love an enemy. That's where Jesus kind of, that's kind of the, to me, the pinnacle of, yeah. of what love kind of looks like is, and, and right after Jesus talks about, you know, loving your enemy, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So yeah. it's like, if yeah. you want to know, if you want to know what love really looks like, Go out and love an enemy. And mm-hmm. I, 
Yeah, I think you're right. It's uh, it's definitely a a thing that would be a light to the world. Mm-hmm. It's definitely uh, something that would bring salt to the world. Uh, it's definitely something that would be very attractive to the world to see that, you know, these people love. Uh, I, David Busick spoke for us. Name drop right there. General Superintendent David Busick <laughs> spoke at my church not too long ago. No, but he was speaking for us, and he was talking about the origin of us as Nazarenes. And um, one of the things that he said was that we started out in some places that kind of made people shake their head. And so the one special place he was talking about was a, a home for erring women. And in the day that that home was started for erring women, the idea was that these women were all pregnant out of wedlock and it was a huge scandal and so this home was started for erring women i mean we would never use that term now erring women yeah yeah but but the idea was that nazarenes actually like there were hundreds and hundreds of babies birthed in this home and loved and mothers loved Mm -hmm. and and that's to me what being pro-life looks like i mean that's so so our our denomination has a history of loving kind of scandalously, but it's only been in the recent past that we've kind of, uh, I don't know if it's the church growth movement or whatever. We've, we've kind of tried to fit into, uh, mainstream evangelicalism, uh, where we've, we've said, well, we got to make sure the right kinds of people are around here. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think when we get those questions, um, man, I want to be a person who's known, uh, for loving outside of the bounds yeah. of maybe what other people would think are even uh, acceptable. Because Jesus sure. definitely is that person. Yeah. I mean, the whole parable of the lost son, the lost sheep, the lost coin come about because the Pharisees are like, why is he hanging out with those people? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, it, what in the world? Well, if he, you know, the story doesn't read that... Um, and the angel came to the most affluent woman in all of Judea. Praise Yahweh! And 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 she and Jesus was raised in a in the temple courts by his affluent mother and father. No, he was born to a carpenter in Nazareth, and a and yeah. a woman who says uh, the Lord has been he went mindful. He to the greatest yeah. greatest rabbinical schools in all. <laughs> Yeah, Jerusalem. The story doesn't read that way at all, and then yet that's what we want our churches to look like. You yeah, know, we, and yeah. and so sometimes we it's a struggle because you know the Church of the Nazarene doesn't refer to the fact that Jesus is from Nazareth, except in that it refers to him as an as a Nazarene, understanding that Nazarenes were the despised ones. Yeah, you know? and right. So you know we ought to be despised, and if we're despised for loving people that nobody else is willing to love, you know, then, okay. One time I had this kid, he said, he came to, he came to church, and uh, it, was, uh, it was after a Wednesday night youth service, and everybody else is gone, and they're playing the games, and my youth sponsors have them, feeding them a snack and whatnot, and we're sitting in the back of the sanctuary, and I'm saying, so what brings you here? Why, why did you come tonight? And he said, well, I had this friend, I asked him, um, and mind you, he is he is praying through. 
as it were. <laughs> that's the that's right. the old the old phrase, you know, praying through. So he's dealing. Does anybody pray through anymore? Yeah, I don't know if that's a thing. I, I, but this is what was going on in my mind. This it is a, a thing. We probably just don't call it. We just don't call it that anymore. But he was having a crisis moment, right? Right. Um, and so I'm. What are you doing here? And he says, Well, this. This kid at school, I asked him, I said, what's that Nazarene church? What's that all about? And he said, uh, he said, oh, they're a hippie church. And he said, hippie church? <laughs> and of course, I was like, hippie church? What does that mean? What do you mean hippie church? He says, yeah, they're the hippie church. Uh, and, I, and so the kid said, well, what, is it? what do you mean by hippie church? And so he says, they'll let anybody come. That's awesome. And I said, well, if that's our reputation, I'll take it. I, that's the yeah. reputation I want to have. Right, yeah. So, yes, um, the answer is then always, yes, we can love them. We can love them. And so division happens when we say, uh, you know, things like we can't, we can't love them. We can't make room for you anymore. And that's when we have to part ways. Uh, you know, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want anybody to think that we're advocating, you know, being an idiot about this. Uh, if you have somebody right. who is violent and they are, viol- yeah. they are hurting people and they are at risk, then yes, it is certainly. I mean, Paul even gives us permission to expel that believer who is behaving poorly, right? Um, but then he comes back and he says, "Now that guy, don't don't judge him too harshly. You should care for him and build him back in encouragement, so he doesn't uh, fall away in discouragement." You know, so there's right. like, yeah. I mean, even even at that, there's always an, a, a a way back in. You know, a way for redemption right. for redemption to take place, and so so we don't have to be I, silly about it and let people come in waving weapons around and hurting everybody. Um, we don't have we don't have to let you know the people who are being sexually aggressive towards uh, towards people in the church. We don't have to let somebody like that do that. Um, we can't. Oh, we will not. No, right? no, we yeah. we don't have. I'm not advocating anything like that. As a matter of fact, I'm advocating you know keep keep your flock safe. Take care of the people who are in your care. Um, but enemies don't change if enemies aren't loved. That's right, yeah. Well, I've been, you know, I've been talking to you. I've been in Ezekiel 47 all morning and <laughs> throughout the semester doing a paper on it. And one of, the, one of the most beautiful parts about it, and this is what I think we've lost a little bit, is if we really believe this, I think we would think about others differently, is that, there's a stream that comes out of the temple, and it's obvious that it's emanating from the presence of God. Right. And the stream makes the Dead Sea fresh water where fish and all <laughs> kinds of things are teeming out. And this, these trees are producing fruit all year round, and the leaves are healing the people. And there's this idea that I'm not sure sometimes when we decide to divide people that we really believe that God can bring life anywhere. Like, and, and so for me to shut off a connection to a person who, who may be, you know, struggling, who, who may not be, uh, look like what I would define to be a Christian, um, <laughs> you know, or what, you know, um, yeah. and, and the crazy thing is as much as that can be anywhere, then it can also be in me. Sure. And to the point where my heart can be made into a heart of flesh again where I can begin to see people differently and realize that that stream flows outward always to the other people 
and never back in on myself. Mm. And, and the idea then is that healing, I get to be part of the healing that God's trying to do in the world by following Jesus. And so if I'm not around things that are dead and sick or struggling, then I'm not really living out my calling either. Right. I mean, what good is a rescue shop uh, in the middle of, you know, a safe place? Rescue right. rescue yeah. shops need to be set up on the edge of hell. You know? Yeah. And sometimes... Yeah, that was another quote from Busick. Yeah. And he stole it from someone else. Yeah. I can't remember. I, I don't remember who said, said that. <laughs> I don't want to. I'd rather set up a rescue shop uh, on the on the edge of hell. Yeah, that was his. Mash. You remember? I remember. Yeah. I would go to bed at night uh, as a little kid, and I would too. And my mom and dad I couldn't stay up and watch they would, it. They would. I could hear it. I could hear that yeah. that theme song, and I wanted to know so bad what it was they were watching. And they were watching. That's so funny. They were watching a story about some levity. And some concern for human life in the middle of a war, and uh, yeah. that show was so popular because it was, it was life trying to happen under the worst of circumstances, and um, and I think that's what we need. The church needs to advocate for life in the worst of circumstances. Um, there was a I was so proud yeah. of us a few years back. We had this this uh, thing called a. Uh, an AIDS care kit. So in the Nazarene church, we have the, you know, the crisis care kit and we love, right. we love our crisis care kits, our, our mission presidents all over, oh, we do. all over the world. They love our crisis care kits. And we, we had this thing that we called a, uh, uh, an AIDS care kit. And we had rescue workers who would go in to situations where someone was about to die from AIDS. They weren't, there was no, uh, hope of recovery in these situations. Um, and they would go in, and churches would purchase uh, AIDS care kits, and it had medicines that would uh, that were about giving them some dignity in their final days. Um, wow! And so we they would put together this kit, and they would send workers in who would tend to people who had no hope of recovery. But we recognize dignity in every human being, uh, no matter if it's a hopeless situation. Or uh, we, we, we recognize that there's dignity there and that, that there's a child of God there. And I think, you know, that's a... And that ultimately, because of the resurrection, even that situation isn't hopeless. No, it's not hopeless. Because <laughs> death does yeah. not have the final word. No, not, that, yeah. death does not have the final word. We, there's redemption to be had. And, and I think that if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then we have, to, we have to think that way. We have to see redemption in, in every situation. Yeah, yeah. I had a professor once that said that pastors should always be hopeful universalists, and that they <laughs> they believe that they believe there's hope for everybody. Come on now, that, you're talking like Richard Richard Rohr. There, you're going to get us all indicted as heretics and whatnot. Not a universalist in that <laughs> we believe God's just going to overtake everyone's oh, yeah. free will. No, I don't think. I don't think Richard. I think that's how Richard advocates universalism. I think he's saying we ought to all be hopeful for every. I think God is at present in every situation, and uh, yeah. and even if we can't see Him, we ought to be looking for Him and see what what opportunity there is for redemption and where hope resides and how salvation and sometimes can be ours. The people who most violently resist God might be as close to God as anybody else. You just never know. 
Sure. I, sometimes I think, you know, the uh, Jesus, Jesus was, he was upset with the people who were supposed to be closest to him and made room for people who seem, who by the religious standards were furthest away. Oh yeah, those banquet parables, man, those will get you. Oh yeah, kick you in the teeth every time. All these people were invited, but they didn't show up, so go grab anybody <laughs> you can find, man. Yeah. And here I am complaining That's... about my seat, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, anyway. I'm just glad I'm invited. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for the conversation today, Nate. Hey, man, it's good for me too. Love talking to you, love you. I'll uh, get back with you next week. Alrighty, let's do this again. Any final thoughts? No, I'm good. I'm good to go. I think we uh, we've said what we need to say about division. Yeah, and uh, I hope you have a great week and a good Sunday. And I will see you next Thursday. Thank you. Love you. All right. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.